You are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I've got a business proposition for you. Overcharge the government to provide services to the public and then drop those services whenever you feel like it, but keep overcharging the government. That sound too good to be true? Our guest says that's precisely the deal the nation's pharmaceutical companies got with the Medicare drug plan. Welcome to the Washington Health Report. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. Our guest is Trudy Lieberman, Director of Medical Reporting at the City University of New York and author of a fascinating article in a recent issue of The Nation. Welcome to the program, Trudy. Thank you. Now, you looked at the Medicare drug coverage plan in a very large context in your piece. Tell us a little bit about what you found. Well, I looked at how the drug coverage was being provided, and it's being provided by private insurance companies under the Medicare Modernization Act, which was passed in 2003. And that law gave seniors and people with disabilities on Medicare uh, a way to get some of their drugs covered and paid for by the government. Only this time, though, the benefit was provided by private insurance carriers, not the government. Now, just stepping back a minute and looking at how other Medicare benefits are provided, Medicare Part A pays for hospitals and Part B pays for doctor and outpatient services. Those benefits are provided by the government. There is very little private involvement in those except through Medicare supplement insurance that pays the gaps, what the government doesn't cover. However, Part D was different, and Part D is the drug coverage, and Congress expressly wanted private carriers to be in the game here and provide the coverage. So there are a number of ways that this coverage can be provided. The use of private carriers with the drug plan did not affect the rest of Medicare. The rest of Medicare, Part A and B and so forth, are still government-funded as they always have been. That's correct. Okay. So the drug benefit is privately funded. Well, it's funded by the government. It's provided by private carriers. Right. The money comes from the government to the private carriers to fashion whatever policies they want subject to certain rules, and then they in turn sell those policies to Medicare beneficiaries. Why did Congress set it up that way? Why did it make it easy and set it up the way the rest of Medicare was? Well, a number of people ask that question. Certainly advocates ask that question as well as many legislators. Patient advocates? or Patient advocates, mm-hmm. consumer advocates, uh, advocates for Medicare beneficiaries, Medicare Rights Center, California Health Advocates, for example. However, there are a number of people in Washington, the conservative think tanks, a number of legislators. There's a large group of people now who believe that Medicare ought to be privatized. And this was the beginning of that movement to convert Medicare from a social insurance program like Social Security into a private system very much like all of us are involved in when we buy or get health insurance from our employers. But wait a minute now. As we just said, uh, this involves only the drug benefit. The rest of Medicare is still the same. So how is this a move to privatize Medicare? This is the beginning. And many people believe that this is the beginning of this move to speed up privatization. And the way they're doing it is to make the drug benefit uh, a private benefit provided by private insurance carriers. And then in the Medicare Modernization Act, there was also a demonstration project set up to allow private insurance companies to compete with Medicare providing the other benefits, the hospital and the doctor benefits. Ah, so that's the lesser-known part of this That's exactly (laughs) right, and that comes, I believe, in 2010. That begins to kick in, that demonstration project. And, of course, 
who knows what will happen after that. But many people who believe in a strong social insurance program are very fearful that this will be the beginning of the end for Medicare as we know it is a social insurance program. So what you're saying is that beginning in 2010, there will be a little tiny piece or a little tiny experiment of privatized Medicare all, all across the boards, Part A and B as well as Part D. That's correct. Is this a done deal? Is this something Congress could change uh, between now and then? Uh, Certainly Congress could change any of this. Uh, I think the first thing that they're worried about right now is whether these overpayments to these private insurers who are providing these drug benefits, and these overpayments are rather substantial. Some HMOs are getting 10% more than it costs the government to provide the services and a certain kind of plan called a private fee-for-service plan these plans are being paid 19% more. So there's a fair amount of extra money that's going to the insurance companies to provide these benefits. And that's the first thing that Congress really will be dealing with in the next few weeks. So this is what I was making reference to in my introduction, that there's a kind of an overcharging or an overpayment on these services at this point. But aren't some of the insurers providing extra benefits for that? Some of them are. Um, we've seen these kind of extra benefits being provided before. We saw them provided by HMOs in the 90s, mid-90s, and late 90s when they got extra payments. Some of these benefits are useful. Some of them are not. They may be for eyeglasses, some dental care, maybe chiropractic care. But the advocates who have looked at some of these plans also are asking people to be very careful when they buy them because they always come with co-payments and co-insurance. And by the time you pay these co-payments for hospital services and doctor visits, you might end up paying more out-of-pocket than you would have paid under traditional Medicare. So there are a lot of hidden traps involved in these policies that people may not be aware of. I mean, the real issue here is insurance companies. Uh, What has been the role of drug companies in the passage of this act? Have they been in favor of it? Well, the drug companies certainly were in favor of it to the extent that there's now a benefit for people so that people who in the past couldn't pay for their drugs could now pay for their drugs. So this does enlarge the market for many of the drug companies. So they certainly uh, were in favor of it. However, there was a provision in the Medicare Modernization Act that prohibits the federal government from negotiating prices with the drug companies, very in the way that the federal government negotiates prices at the VA and for other government uh, hospitals. And so what this means is that the federal government is effectively prohibited from trying to get the best price for consumers, for beneficiaries who buy these drugs. And there have been uh, attempts to try to change that this last year, these last several months, but the Senate has turned that down. And I believe the House did pass it earlier in the year, but it didn't go anywhere in the Senate because the drug companies are very much opposed to it. They believe that this will be the beginning of price controls on pharmaceuticals, which is exactly what they don't want. Uh, Recently, Families USA put out a report on the Medicare drug plans, and here are a few of their findings. They compared the privatized plans to the Veterans Administration drug plans. Here are a couple of examples from the report. For Zocor, the lipid-lowering agent, the lowest price the Veterans Administration pays for a year's treatment is $127. The lowest price under the Part D Medicare plan is 
$1,485. If my math is right, that's more than 10 times as much. Uh, let me find another one here. Uh, Fosamax for osteoporosis, the VA price, the lowest price, $250, the lowest Part D Medicare price, $763, about double, more than double, triple, I guess. Isn't privatization supposed to keep prices down? That's theory. That has been the theory all along, that first we had Medicare HMOs, and they were supposed to keep prices down and provide better quality, and the evidence is quite mixed on both of those points. Now we have privatized drug benefits, and uh, we now know that some of the prices for these drugs are still quite high. I assume those are annual figures you were reading? Yes. Okay. If you think about that, think about somebody who uses a lot of drugs and ends up in the donut hole. The donut hole is the portion of the benefit where a person has no coverage. They have coverage for the beginning of their drug regimen for part of the year, and then they hit a threshold, and then they don't have coverage for a while. And then when they have total catastrophic needs, then some more coverage kicks in. But a a lot of people who have high needs and chronic illnesses are going to be in that donut hole paying those prices themselves. Let's talk a little bit more about how we might get from privatization of Part D to privatization of Part A and B. The key point, I guess, or the key step on that path, if it goes that way, would be these demonstration projects that begin in 2010. Correct. Now, will that be certain, limited to certain insurers? How will that work? I don't know how it will be fashioned, but the idea is that there will be private carriers providing the same benefits that Medicare is going to pay, and the rules for these things are extremely complicated and and twisting and turning, so I can't really say how it's going to be. But if they show through this demonstration, that they can provide it cheaper, then that will eventually add another wedge here to privatize Medicare. And what advocates seem to fear greatly is that in a privatized Medicare for Parts A and B, what will happen is that the government will give beneficiaries a set sum of money, a defined contribution, if you will, sometimes called a voucher. And for that amount of money, say 5000 6000 or 7000 you're supposed to go into the private market and buy health insurance to cover you in old age. The problem, of course, is that if that government-defined contribution is inadequate, then you'll have to pay out of pocket. And it doesn't take any of us much thinking to realize that health care costs continue to increase because we really have no controls on health care costs in this country. And so as that amount increases over time, the increasing cost of that care will be shifted to the beneficiary. And that's what will happen down the road. Tell us a little bit, in your article in The Nation, you talk about Humana and how its strategy um, paid off with regard to the drug plan. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Humana was pretty smart about how they tackled the new benefits that were given, and they made a decision that they were going to be out there and sell very low-priced products, and for the most part, they have done that. They've been, in most markets, the lowest-priced product in the state or in the county, depending on what unit you want to measure. The product being their drug uh, insurance plan, drug Exactly. Plan. Yeah, they have a number of plans, as well as all the other carriers have a number of plans. And Humana said very openly that they would hope that some of those people who signed up for these low-priced plans would eventually move over to their higher-priced plans. Uh, of course, those plans are more lucrative to the company. And um, Why would someone move from a low price plan to a high price plan? 
better coverage, more things covered, um, all kinds of reasons that they might want to do that. The price differential might not be that much to get them to move, but the actual amount going to the company might be more. Now, you in the article, you uh, I mean, if Humana is offering a low price, that's good. The system is working, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's competing with other insurers to get those people. True. Okay, but yet you call it a government-sanctioned bait and switch. Well, what Humana did, and they say that they brought over an extra 100,000 people that contributes to top-line revenue because they were able to get these people to switch into other plans. Into these higher-priced plans. Right. Okay, so uh, the, the, the low The seniors the low are paying, for example, this is an average, about $100 a year for a Humana standalone plan, which is their lowest cost plan, which also doesn't provide other benefits. And then they pay about $800 a year for Medicare Advantage plans, and that includes some of these private fee-for-service plans and HMOs. I want to thank Trudy Lieberman of the City University of New York for being with us. Thanks, Trudy. Thank you. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You have been listening to the Washington Health Report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. If you've got ideas about what you'd like to hear on the program, let us know about that too. The address is xm at reachmd.com. And thanks so much for listening.